From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We are continuing our In Her Boots podcast series with Barb Perkins of Vermont Valley Community Farm. Today we look at the CSA model and how that can help manage risk in her regional food hub of Madison. Hear about everything from succession planting and that important C in CSA community, involving your members as partners in your farm. Barb Perkins, together with her husband David, ran Vermont Valley Community Farm CSA from 1994 through 2018. Vermont Valley was one of the first CSAs in the state and one of the largest. The farm engaged its members in many ways and became a vibrant community over the years. Barb is an advocate for CSA and an educator for CSA farmers and the community. We have another episode with Barb Perkins of Vermont Valley Community Farm today on our In Her Boots podcast. And we're going to talk about the concept of risk and how do you identify that and manage that, especially in a regional food hub like we have here in Madison. And we were talking in an earlier episode, Barb, about CSA, community supported agriculture, and how that basically is what Vermont Valley is all about, uh, but also the movement you led here and are leading here in Madison of creating that. And why do you feel the CSA model helps a farmer manage risk from a, from a business perspective? From a business perspective, there are so many, well, first of all, there's so many different crops being grown on a CSA farm. And there are many succession plantings of the same crop. And so on a CSA farm, it is our goal to fill one of our goals, but a really major, really big goal is to fill the CSA box every week for throughout the season. Our season was 20, our main season was 20 weeks long. And every week we want that box to be full and robust and interesting and delicious. And so of course, there are so many different factors that can come into play, weather being one of them. A CSA farm is really is diversifying because we're growing 50 different crops and planting many of those crops, you know, six, eight different times throughout the season. And so if one of our fields would flood or we had a frost in a low-line area early in the season or there was a hailstorm, that would only affect a small aspect of what we were growing that week and we'll still fill the box really nicely. And I have so many examples of when that happened. Our members didn't know that they were supposed to receive beans six weeks in a row. They only got them four weeks in a row one season because we had a field that was way too wet and we had a lot of mold in the beans. 
But still, they were really happy with the four times that they got beans. And so it just, yeah, that's... It's like the ultimate in risk yeah, management, it really. Yeah, it really is. Um, and so, and we have some ground that's higher and some ground that's lower and some ground that's sandier and some ground that's heavier. And we can choose where we're going to plant a crop. And for example, the last couple of years, the soil has been so saturated and there's been so much rain. Um, we're just staying away from those really low areas and planting in the high areas um, and just letting the low areas be low just in case the crop is going to flood down there. Yeah. And beyond the business bottom line, I would think too that the CSA model helps you manage risk from a, a emotional standpoint as a farmer, right? I mean, you they're not just people anonymously buying your product. These are members who care and with all the things you've done over the years to really build those relationships and bring people out on the farm it's just a different dynamic but from the get-go where you know your members have your back so true and there's so much education so every week i'm writing a newsletter and telling our members what's going on on the farm and when there are some weather events we really like to talk about them it's been really really hot how are we doing? It's been really dry. How are we irrigating? Showing all kinds of great pictures of all of our different irrigation equipment. It's been really wet. How are we plodding through? And to let people know, hey, you know, it's it's okay. Your crops are okay. Or wow, you know, this happened, but this was only one really small part of that field and the rest is really okay. But also if something really catastrophic does happen, because there's a relationship that we have our members understand it and they're sympathetic and they really send have have sent us condolences in writing well the worst thing that ever happened was the year i think it was in 2011 or 20, 2012 when late blight came into the state and really devastated most farms tomatoes oh, and right. a lot of potatoes that year we lost 4 thousand tomato plants to late blight. We Ouch. basically didn't have a tomato crop that year. Tomatoes are one of the most labor intensive crops. You know, we we mulch them, we run drip irrigation, we prune them, we trellis them. I mean it's just a really labor intensive crop, as a lot of crops are. And then we watch them all die. And you know, this our members, we got more we got more empathy from our members than we got disappointment that there were no tomatoes that year. And it's because we had this really wonderful relationship. And transparent, too, where you're always through the newsletter giving updates. It wasn't like, whoops, we lost. I mean, there were stories along the way, I'm sure. Very transparent. But we were also very careful. We never, we don't whine. We don't complain. We really tried to frame everything in as positive of a light as possible. So the the fields were so muddy. We couldn't get our, our tractors or trucks in there to harvest. We were walking and walking and walking and carrying crate after crate, you know, just like taking our harvest time and just exponentially increasing it. But we're not complaining about that. We're showing pictures of us slogging through the mud and we're, you know, just saying, hey, this is how we did it today. I have read other, you know, farms newsletters where there's a lot of whining and complaining going on. And that's not what members want to hear. They want to know what's going on. But I think if the farmer can phrase it in more of a positive light and still be really transparent and tell, still tell the members what's going on, I think the members can understand it better without 
Yeah, without yeah. hearing the whining. It's like, hey, this is my chosen occup- my chosen occupation. You know, I have to deal with it. Yeah, don't. Yeah, you know, I can. I can. I can. Yeah, I can be exhausted at the end of the day, but no whining. Whining. <laughs> I'm with you there. And as you have led and experienced the CSA movement grow here in the Madison area to really establish Madison and Southern Wisconsin as a regional food hub of CSA and other, I mean, local food period. What are some of the things you have seen the CSA community of farms do to create that? Because it it just doesn't happen everywhere. And I think there's definitely learnings from our community here in Southern Wisconsin that inherently help us all manage risk, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. very collaborative. But how have you seen that evolve over the years? I have to agree, Madison is incredibly unique. One thing, we have a very, very strong CSA coalition, which is built on farmers supporting and helping each other and networking with each other. And so, that's, right, that's that's now Fair Share CSA Coalition, a nonprofit that my understanding is hopefully going to be modeled throughout the country now because it is very unique and a big piece, but bringing farms together, bottom line. Right, bringing farms together. And one of the big successes of Fair Share CSA Coalition is that it wasn't solely dependent on farmers, that when the coalition began in 1992, I believe, it was a lot of food activists and urban eaters and university people that came together and they were the founders of the CSA Coalition. Then they went out and found the farmers to say, hey, we know about this new idea called CSA. Would you be willing to start a CSA farm? And, you know, we as a network are going to be here to support you. So I think that was sort of the beauty in what happened because if a farmers, if farmers try to create an organization and to be the strength behind it in the organizational aspect, it's not going to happen because farmers get too busy farming. Yeah. Um, so the farmers were are really key. And the CSA Coalition offers workshops and field days and lots of online resources and um, places for farmers to ask questions and and network with each other. And so um, this whole sharing and bouncing ideas and if a farmer has a problem or an issue or a concern or a need being able to put it out there to the community of farmers and have somebody come and and help and assist and jump in and suggest. And farmers help farmers. I mean, when the going gets really tough, you know, hey, you just lost all of your potatoes. Well, we have some that we can sell you. Hey, you know, yeah, we've shared equipment. We had we did have a CSA farm up the road for our first years here, and we shared some pieces of equipment with each other. Um, so there's some really concrete ways like that that the farmers and the coalition have worked together. Sure. So having a unifying, well, in this case, organization with fair share, but a means to come together has proven really helpful here. And then that public education component, because I know like some of the, the fair share open houses and even the events and things they do showcase what CSA is all about, but it is something I'm hoping we'll see replicated in other parts of the, the country. Because do you see too, I know we've been really focusing on CSA because that's that's your 
your your deep farming DNA, right? And and contribution, but it really also helps support all the other aspects of local and organic food in a food hub, right? I mean, correct. And I you, think you saw all these things parallel. Yes, we were talking about growth of CSAs, but the markets and availability in retail and places you'd never expect, like Quick Trips. You know, I mean, I have more or at least some right. organic local produce. And we can thank the consumers for that because the, the as the word gets out and more and more people understand organic food, they understand, well, first of all, it tastes better. Um, you know, it's got to sell itself in a really quick and easy way. And I think people like, wow, this is grown up the road and it tastes really good. And wow, this tomato tastes like the tomato that, you know, I knew when I was a kid and we hear things, we've heard things like that all along. So, you know, organic had to be something that the that the consumer was demanding. And if the consumer is demanding it, then it's then, you know, the supply is, is going to increase. And of course, you know, vegetables are direct marketed at, at farmers markets and through a CSA, but all kinds of other farm crops too, um, that are grown locally and marketed locally and that the farmer can direct market and really have the monetary benefit, you know, meat and cheese and honey and eggs and, you know, all sorts of things that you see at the farmer's market. But farmers are also have their own way of of um, reaching customers. Oftentimes they will piggyback or join together with a CSA and, you know, or a CSA will invite other farms, you know, to sell their products through their CSA just so that the market can can be broadened. And these are all ways that, you know, people can can find out about about these different crops and also the giving, giving farmers other, um, other outlets for selling their food. Yeah, that's so true. And what advice would you give a beginning new woman farmer who wants to start a farm? Let's say, let's assume they have the experience and the skill set to do that in a place like a Madison that has a vibrant community to navigate, you know, and to find a niche or an opening or identifying how to create something that would succeed in in a vibrant marketplace. It's an abundance of riches, right? But how do you manage your own risk when you're diving into something like a Madison? Right. I think I think it's a little bit tricky because there's the pros and the cons. I mean, the pro is that it's such a vibrant community. There are so many resources. You have so many people to talk to, farms to visit and a lot of people to learn from. But then, yes, it's finding your own niche because although people talk about the market being saturated, I never, I don't agree because everybody has to eat. And if we're only touching, you know, less than five, if CSAs only touch less than 5% of the market, well, gosh, there's a lot more people that, that need to eat. So figuring out like, what's my niche as far as marketing? Now I know um, some CSAs have gone more to um, the choice model in their CSA box. That's that's a that's something creative that that farms are doing more market style. So, to, I think really the the what I would suggest is really getting to know what's happening in the area, talking to far- farmers that are trying new and creative things, finding out like. Is this aspect of your market growing? Is this aspect of your market decreasing? I'm really getting a sense, the pulse of of what's happening in your community. I know a lot of farmers, instead of marketing into Madison, are marketing into the into their small towns because 
there are over there were over 50 I think there are still about 50 farms that are part of the Fair Share CSA coalition and most of those farms used to market directly into Madison and now some of them are pulling out of Madison and saying hey my farm's in Lake Mills I'm going to focus on my local market hey my my you know my farm is in New Glarus I'm going to focus on local and not just be trying to market into Madison um, but trying to find the niche in my own small community. And that's really the ideal, isn't mm-hmm. it? To have more spread out, more local, mm-hmm. and uh, take it all on. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Barb. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.